From coast to coast, women grow up with their bodies being watched and, almost without fail, learning to watch their own bodies. This self-surveillance begins young and for many women feels impossible to stop. It permeates our relationships and decisions, negatively impacts our physical well-being, mental health, and overall quality of life. The Body Myth Podcast explores how we got here, why our size and shape have nothing to do with happiness, and what we can do to find body peace. I'm Ronit Plank, and I'm your host for the Body Myth Podcast. Let's get off of this weight and body image roller coaster together. Hi, welcome to episode nine of the Body Myth. I'm more than halfway through this limited series and I wanted for this episode to get back to some of the answers to the survey about body image and diet culture that I was conducting in preparation for this podcast. So over the course of different episodes, I've been asking questions of women who decided to answer about their experience with eating and with feeling like their body was being watched and how they surveilled themselves. And for today's episode, I want to hit the question for number seven in the survey, which is, did a parent or loved one ever suggest a diet or put you on one when you were growing up? And I guess I should go back a little bit and talk about my why. I find, as someone who's interviewed a lot of people for my different podcasts and for my writing, that I learn every time someone shares a story with me about their experience. And I I feel like every time I talk to a friend or a loved one, something about weight or body image comes up over the years or some self-deprecating comment or any kind of eye roll about their current size kind of comes up. And I just wondered how pervasive this was, if it was just my group, if it was just my orientation in the world. And I've come to find out that it's pretty common for women and it doesn't distinguish between race or socioeconomic background. It doesn't seem to matter what region you're in. There's just this sort of body watching and body image concentration that so many women experience. So number seven, here are some of the answers to the question. And then I'm going to get into the guest interview for this episode. Did a parent or loved one ever suggest a diet or put you on one when you were growing up? Yes. My mother used to suggest it frequently. No. Yes. Always said in a loving way and more after the birth of my children. Yes, my obese mother was consistently worried I would be fat and made remarks about watching what I was eating to avoid becoming obese like her. When I was 15 years old and an athlete with a rigorous exercise routine, I was diagnosed with hyperlipidemia. It's hereditary, but the doctor suggested a strict diet to control my numbers. Surprise, the diet failed and instead led me to disordered eating and light ARFID. Any foods cooked in fats or oils would make me gag, and I would have severe sensory issues eating due to the idea that I was going to have a heart attack from the excess fats being consumed. When I started gaining weight in high school, people, relatives, etc. became critical, and I started throwing up. Yes, in 2007, my grandma told me my arms were getting too big and suggested I go on a diet. No. No, but I was continually compared to my pretty sister. No, I had the opposite problem, though my mother was heavy and I never wanted to be her. Many, many times. 
Both parents, mom especially, commented when I'd gain weight that I should lose some. Yes. My family always made comments, too thin, too heavy, just right, depending on the day. Yes. Both my parents were constantly on diets and declaring foods to be off-limits. They never restricted my own eating, but their judgmental comments about it had the same effect as if they had. No, but I received a lot of subtle or sideways comments about food and the amount I would eat. No, as an adult, doctors and sometimes strangers accused me of being anorexic or bulimic because I was naturally very thin. Having a deformed ribcage did not help. No, but portion size, weight, and quote, health were common topics. My mother put me on Weight Watchers when I was 10. Yes, I think my mother gave suggestions she thought were helpful. No, no. Not exactly, but no one tried to dissuade me from declaring myself on a diet when I was too young to be on one. Yes. Mixed messages. Clean your plate was a big one. I'm grateful my parents wouldn't allow me to go on Jenny Craig between freshman and sophomore year of college. Yes, my food intake was restricted and father constantly commented on my weight. Yes, my mother used to suggest it frequently. What I noticed when I was doing this survey was that while many of the answers had to do with being told that one's body was too big or they needed to lose weight, what was also leaving kind of an impact was being told that your body wasn't right because it was too thin or it didn't look the way it was supposed to or people were saying that you might be anorexic or that you weren't eating enough. And of course, there are very real health concerns around nutrition and weight. But also, there's this idea that our bodies are being watched and that they're up for grabs, this idea that they exist separate from us to be observed. And I I'm trying to figure out how we live in this world, you know, and make peace with that and be proud of who we are and integrate our body and our mind and all that we are. But of course, it's a really long road and I am just at the beginning of it. So now it is my pleasure to introduce episode nine's guest. Today, my guest is Simi Krishnan. She is a leader in the analytics space and loves to craft stories using data. She's the mother of a preteen girl and a seven-year-old son and loves all things storytelling, whether based on data or personal experiences. Outside of her role leading analytics, Simi is also a co-producer and director of The People Tree, a live storytelling show in downtown Naperville, a suburb of Chicago. The People Tree is a female-founded and owned business focused on enriching the lives of the local community with real stories from real people. Welcome, Simi. Thank you, Ronit. Thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. (laughs) I'm so glad that you're here, and I'm really looking forward to digging into the story behind your body image experience, especially because, actually, we didn't talk about this before, but you weren't raised in the U.S., and so your body image experience is really informed by your early life on another continent. So I guess let me just dive in by asking how old you were when you first thought about your size or began judging your body. That is such a deep question on so many Mm. levels because I feel that the whole concept of body image and to a large extent body dysmorphia happens at such an early age. And Mm. for me, I'm middle-aged right now. And I think that this started happening in my generation specifically at a very early age. You become very aware of 
people around you, what's being visualized as beautiful versus what isn't. And mm-hmm. I am a brown girl. I was living in the UK. So uh, while there were a lot of other you know people that look like me around, they also didn't look like me because I was larger. I was darker. I was taller. So there were so many things about me that I felt really pushed me away from the norm and made me recognize that I wasn't the ideal beauty and I wasn't the perfect person that people visualized as being beautiful. So it sounds like you're, you're talking about absorbing the information and being aware of it from a really young age. Did, did you have a dialogue about this? Did people in your family or even people at school talk about this with you? Were there actual words about this for you? Oh, yeah. And I, I want to preface by saying my family never made me feel, my, my family be my mom and my dad and my sister, never, ever, ever made me feel that I was not amazing, whether it was the way I looked, the way like my education or anything, I, they always supported me. Mm-hmm. However, on the flip side, it was absolutely a dialogue in school, throughout school, in, you know, in college. It's always kind of, you know, I I was tall, I was big, I was not, in my eyes, as attractive as I wanted to be. And why did I feel not attractive? Because I was tall and because I was big. And Mm. that was not what was seen as beautiful. Mm-hmm. And and the idea of being big, because I, I definitely struggled with feeling like I wasn't the same size as, as my peers. Did, did people say, whoa, you know, you're so tall? Or did you just look around and feel like, holy moly, I'm towering over these people, or I don't look the same? You know what I mean? Like, did, you know, because your family, thank goodness, was supportive of you and, and loved every bit of you. So mm-hmm. when did you start to maybe accept what other people thought of you as possible truth? Um, I would say from when I hit secondary school, which is about seventh grade here, people can be mean and they're very vocal about it. And typically I'm from an Indian heritage. I'm from an Indian background. So my family immigrated to the UK from India. And Mm. typically an Indian girl is not tall. She's very, she's very, she's much shorter. And Mm. so more so than my weight, I think my height really bothered me. And it got to a stage where I would really like scrunch down and pretend mm-hmm. to be shorter than I was. Mm-hmm. And that, and Ronit, that's still something I struggle with today. That's mm-hmm. not something that's gone away. That the height thing still is a, it's a struggle for me because I am so much taller than everyone else around <laughs> me. And it's like, oh my gosh. And I'm not even, I'm 5'8", so I'm not that tall. But uh-huh. that, but that conditioning that kind of I absorbed as a child really grew with me and it's never really gone away. Yes. Well, I think those, those things that we sort of internalize early don't go away. Yeah, they don't. And the, even the, the weight thing, because I have always been on the bigger side. I've always been um, a larger girl. I like food. I'm not going to lie. It's, I enjoy food. Um, but it's not even just about food. I have, you know, um, health struggles that, you know, make me put on weight. And as a child, no one really cares if you have health issues or no one really cares if you like food. You're just labeled and mm-hmm. they assume you're lazy and they assume that you don't care when you do care because you go home and you look in the mirror and you're like, why can't I be thin? Why can't I be skinny? Why can't I be fairer? Why can't mm-hmm. I be shorter? And it's not fair. 
Mm-hmm. So when you were growing up, did you have times when you weren't thinking about your body? Like, I mean, obviously, there are times when we don't think about our body. But did you have peace at all in middle school? That's what we call what was it secondary school, you called it? Yes, correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we call it middle school. But when I was growing up in New York, it was junior high school. But did you have moments or periods of time where you could let it rest and not focus on yourself that way? When I lost weight. Isn't mm. that sad? Isn't that mm-hmm. sad? I lost a dramatic amount of weight and when I hit puberty and I felt... Uh, on purpose or...? No, not on purpose. It just happened. Mm-hmm. And I was ecstatic. I was so <laughs> ecstatic. I was like, oh my God, I've got the body that I always wanted. And it's it's so sad that my happiness was based on that. And I needed that validation from, you know, a third person to tell me, oh my gosh, Simi, you have lost so much weight. And I felt so good about it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I've lost so much weight. And I was the tender age of like 14, Mm-hmm. And even at that age, that bothered me. And I think I think back now and I'm like, I can't believe that this was so important to me. And I let it really guide my life. Can you talk about that? How, how so? I, I mean, I feel that weight, height, and like the weight and height have been like a real factor in every aspect of my life, whether it be relationships, whether it be um, my career, whether it be my family, it's everything has had an impact down to weight. I Mm. was so conscious about that. And I would always, when I go shopping, I would never go want anyone to know my size because it's so Mm. humiliating. My friends prob- probably didn't care. I mean, they're young. They may have cared. It was just not something we discussed. I was bigger. My size was not going to be known. It's so interesting, too, because it sounds like your family didn't make you feel self-conscious about your body. No one said anything to you. So you were getting love and affection and admiration from your family regardless of how you looked. Is that accurate? That is accurate. Right. So it sounds like this really, you had an okay foundation at home, a good foundation, Mm -hmm. but this just sort of swept you away, this Western culture and this idolized version of what we're supposed to look like. And when you were at that weight that you were really ecstatic about when you were 14, did did it stop you thinking about your body? No, it didn't. It, It made me think about it in, oh my God, what if I put the weight back on? Yeah. Well, because I have this, you know, I don't think it's a top secret theory, but I really feel like when when our relationship to our bodies is so focused on the way they look and not maybe the way they feel or what they can do for us. And of course, I'm guilty of this myself. That's why I'm doing this podcast. (laughs) But when it's when it's like that, then there is really no peace, because even when you get to the quote ideal version or you lose whatever your quote goal weight was, you then are attached to that. Mm-hmm. And it's just sort of like the, it's like the wrong win. Totally agree with you because you feel like you have this goal in your mind. That is my perfect way. Exactly how you said it. Once I get there, I will be happy. And once you get there, you're like, oh, I want 10 more. Oh, but mm-hmm. I want five more. It never ends because your happiness is tied to your weight and you will never be happy because that's always going to fluctuate. It's never going to stay the same. And it's really, really about changing that mindset and understanding that that is not the goal to happiness. But how do you understand that? Because it, mm. as, as a woman, I feel like it impacts you every day. 
just by the media itself. Mm-hmm. And I know you, you're in a leadership role in your career, and you've said that you feel it was an uphill struggle, and that mm-hmm. has a lot to do with the way that you look and feel. So can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I told you I struggled with my weight as a child. And then, you know, I had my kids. Again, I struggled with my weight. And I'm finally at a point in my life where I, I feel very comfortable with the way my body looks. I'm at a good stage. But Ronit, to get there and recognize myself through my career development it was very hard. You know, I I have I had this constant perception of myself, of how I looked. And I believed that other people perceived me the same way. Hmm. And what that ended up doing to me was inhibiting my chances of growing because I felt I was not worthy. Hmm. And that was all connected to not what you could accomplish, not your mind, not what you had achieved, but just the way you presented in the world? Yeah, I, I don't think I walk this path alone. I think this is a struggle mm-hmm. that a lot of a lot of women have, you know. You see the media, you see the way people are portrayed. You see, I mean, look look at the news, look at the people that read the news. They're beautiful people. They mm-hmm. look a certain way. They're successful. They look a certain way. I don't look anything like that. I look mm-hmm. absolutely nothing like that. So, how can I be successful? And I really want to, I, I want to add something though, because I think the generation I grew up in is mm-hmm. very different to my daughter's generation, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah, I think I see my, my daughter's a pre-teenager. She's going to be 13 this year. And I see the confidence she oozes. I mean, it's <laughs> oh, her, her cup is overflowing. She is so calm. And it's, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful to see her and her friends are so inclusive of every single person. There is no derogatory terms thrown around based on the way you look, the way you act, the way you are. You are accepted. And I think that, I mean, that may be unique to her, but I don't think it is. I think it's a real generational shift that I'm seeing. Yes, I think you're right about that. I haven't heard this across the board, but I have heard from one or two guests, and I have experience with teenagers here in my own house, that the way that they're looking, and and not to say that social media isn't really impacting them on a daily basis, but in terms of size and clothing and how things fit, I haven't heard the the kinds of remarks that were, were getting, you know, exchanged when I was growing up or that I talked about myself with agree exactly the same and I I think that's such a big deal because my my, I have never talked about my weight struggles in front of my daughter because it's just not something that I want to do in the fear of impacting her negatively in any way however Mm -hmm. she does not even really understand which she should at this age because I did that Mm -hmm. being quote-unquote fat has a negative connotation Mm mm-hmm she, she mm-hmm. has no clue. And I think that's beautiful. I think it's mm-hmm. absolutely beautiful that to her, the negative connotation associated with the term being quote unquote fat doesn't exist. 
I know that's pretty. I mean, also when you think about the movies that we probably grew up, you know, we probably watched similar movies. Mm-hmm. There was always the quote fat kid, yes. or you know, the, all those stereotypes. They just seem a little bit different now. And I, I haven't taken a close look at this, but it just seems like things are shifting because there's so much more acceptance. And I know that's not across the board. And I know there's still a lot of pain in growing up. And I know people can be really cruel. So I don't want to discount that. Yes. But I do think that the stereotypes that we grew up with and the marginalization of people who didn't conform is different now. I totally agree. Yeah, and you're right. Absolutely. Middle school is still awful. <laughs> I can, I can, I, middle school is not a nice place to be. And I think it's supposed, it's, I mean, I never went to middle school, but I hear it's supposedly supposed to be worse than high school. So I, I mean, yeah, I completely bad. agree. Yeah, I completely, I completely see your point. But I think you, you hit the nail on the head when you said the idea of having to conform is not as much a necessity as it was when we were growing up. Yeah. And yeah. and I think, do you think it has something to do with media or do you think it has to do with more of the globalization or what, do you have any thoughts about that? I don't know because I, I'm still not a hundred percent convinced that Instagram, Snapchat, all of these social channels are good for our children for the next generation purely because mm-hmm. of this false image of perfection that they provide the filters mm-hmm. for example however I don't necessarily think it's bad because it's giving people a voice to speak about their issues and giving our children the chance to understand that there's more out there than this so-called deemed perfection Yes, I I know what you're saying. And I've thought about that too, that the balance, there's so much more of an onslaught, but at the same time, there's more voices, there's more people at the table. So I think that does kind of normalize differences a little bit more. Did you diet as an adult? Did you diet as a grown woman before or after children? Yes, absolutely. I worked out vigorously. I dieted um, and it was awful. I was always hungry. Mm. I was always hungry. <laughs> it's I hated it. And that's why I decided that I can't I can't diet anymore. I can't I can't live that life. And again, back to the fact I don't want my children to think that this is what you have to do to succeed. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know? And so I just changed my lifestyle. I became much more health conscious. I work out because I enjoy working out as opposed to I have to work out. I eat healthy. I eat, you know, whole foods because it's better for me to know what's going into my body. And these have all, all helped dramatically in getting me to a place where I want to be with my weight. Mm. Well, right. And so I'm curious about figuring out how this this unfolded for you. Because, I mean, I, from my, my own experience and from other women I know, there can be sort of this back and forth dance of I'm going to lose weight. I, I'm giving up. I'm going to lose weight. I'm, you know, this idea of I am going to change myself. I'm not going to change myself. And it just goes on and on. And I'm sure, I mean, I know women who I just ran into someone in my neighborhood and I said, how are you? We're not very close yet, but I said, how are you? And she said she was starting a new diet. And I was like, She's like, have you heard of it? And I was just like, ah, you know, like run away, run away. Well, I mean, because I kind of smiled with sort of recognition because I'd had heard about the diet before. And she said, oh, do you know it? And I was like, oh, I know it. And I know that, you know, and, and the funny, the funny, not funny thing was, is that she mentioned that, you know, she's been really cranky because of it. And, you know, it's been a little bit difficult right now. And I thought this is just sort of, you know, a dead end. It's a dead end street, right? Because... 
in my experience, like you can lose that stuff. You could lose the extra, you know, change your body. But those things are fleeting and it's such a toll on us to do that. And like we talked about earlier, it's a never ending sort of struggle. And so I'm wondering how you have held on to, like when did you begin to drop that? And how do you stay focused on not, you know, being hard on yourself? You know, honestly, it took a health crisis for me to realize It took a little while for me to kind of wrap my head around it. But Mm. what I did realize is while my extensive dieting and, you know, working out and just being so unaware of myself and my, my body may not have caused this, it cannot be the cause of any further health issues. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was just unwilling to let myself and my my horrible image of myself affect the way that my health panned out. Right. And and you have a you have a husband, right? I do. I do. And can you talk a little bit about you know, obviously our partners, they see us. I mean, I don't know how much you talked about it with him. I don't really share a lot of my inner my inner thoughts about my body with my husband too much. You know, I try to like do it myself a little bit. Mm-hmm. But did your husband know about your struggles and how you were you're feeling about yourself in the world? Absolutely. He's very aware because it's something that I struggle with a lot because specifically after I had my kids, uh, it was very difficult for me. And he so he he does know he absolutely knows my struggle. Yeah. And I, I think I feel the same way about that. And I don't I, I don't even it's so subconscious the way that that permeates the way that yep. it just becomes part of us that, yep. that we have to do all these things. And I do think it's a feminist issue. I do think that it's very much about the Western culture of women and how we we want women to bend into all these positions and shapes and sizes to kind of make the cut, you know? Yeah. So these days, when when do you feel the most peace about your body? I'm actually pretty peaceful about my body. I I, I feel pretty good. I um I don't use the weighing scale as much as I um probably should, but I I look at myself, I see what I'm wearing. If I like it, I'm happy. And, you know, my focus is to be healthy. And my lifestyle changes have really helped with that. And to be healthy means I can be a good role model for my kids. I can thrive in my career. I can have great friendships. I can do so much more because the weight gain both literally waiting from a time standpoint and wait from a scale standpoint, it's just mind-numbing, mind-numbing. You're waiting for the numbers to go down. For what? Because you'll have a new goal. And what is that going to give you? Nothing. (laughs) I know. It's so so simple when you put it that way. Yeah, it's it's so it's it's so mind-numbing to step on that scale every day and say, have I lost any weight? Have I lost No, it's it doesn't work like that. You drink some water, you're gonna put on a couple of pounds. It happens, yeah. you know, it's it's not going to change your life dramatically if you become, you know, 115 pounds. It's Mm -hmm. not going to change. Are you never going to eat again? Are you never going to enjoy? Find out what happiness means to you. Is happiness to you starving and not eating and, you know, being cranky? Like you mentioned about um, a neighbor that um, said she was cranky from a new diet. Is that happiness to you? If it is, go for it. It's not happiness (laughs) to me. You know, it's not happiness to me. Yeah. Yes. And I think that it's sort of maybe you get to a point. I don't know. For some women, they might get to a point where they just are at a breaking 
point. They realize I can't do this anymore. And -hmm. for some people, maybe the fullness of life takes over and you don't have to worry about how you look so much. You just are not thinking about it as much. I mean, when you think about what it might have distracted you from thinking about your body and your shape and size. I mean, when I think about it, I feel like it. there were hours in my life that have been taken up by thinking about how I looked. There have been days, maybe years of my life for me <laughs> where I've thought about it. Well, I it. think I'm probably, yeah, I think I probably <laughs> should fess up that it's more like that for me as well. I was thinking it's it's kind of funny actually because I feel this is a journey that everyone has to go on right? You have to figure mm-hmm. out for yourself what's important for you and what 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 gets you up in the morning. And if it's losing weight, so be it. It's okay. But you have to realize that that may not, that may not be the end goal for everyone. So it's very difficult for you to say, I'm losing weight for me and not judging anyone else, if that makes sense. Because if like, for example, if I'm 20 pounds heavier and I have a friend who is 20 pounds less weight than me. However, she still has a goal of losing 10 pounds because, you know, that's what she needs. That's, I'm, I'm happy for her because that's, that's driving her happiness. But losing that 10 pounds does not give you the authority to judge me on my lack of losing the 30 pounds mm-hmm. to be in the same place as you because I'm happy where I am. Yes, and also the, the toll it exacts from us to try to stay at a certain weight you know, it's, yeah. it's like, a, at what price? At what yeah. price would it be anyway, right? Exactly. And it is definitely a mindset shift. I mean, it's not, it takes some time. It takes a really long time. And you said that you are in, you know, your middle years now. Mm-hmm. And so how long do you feel like you've been living this new way? Oh, not, not very long. <laughs> not very long <laughs> at all. I would say about maybe the past four or five years. Mm-hmm. Well, that's uh, significant though. That is significant. You think I so? Mean, I think so. I mean, to be able to hold on to that kind of sense of self and, you know, the peace that you're carving out, I think that's a long time now. I mean, I think I think it's it's, you know, so many experiences kind of happen and you when you feel that what well, me as a person when I felt that I was underestimating myself because of the way I looked, and when I developed health problems, I had to take a beat. Mm-hmm. I had to take a step back and say, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. What, what, what is causing this, you know, confusion and this, this utter like craziness in your head to make you believe that you're not worthy of this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's it's me. It's me. I'm doing it to myself. No one's doing it to me. I'm doing it to myself. Mm-hmm. Right, which can be really hard to get away from because there is no enemy but our, you know, there's no enemy. Yeah. There's no abusive relationship we're in. Yeah. It's it's our own self-talk that needs to change. It is. And you, you have to live your truth. If you don't live your truth, you're not being truthful to anyone. You're not doing anything right by anyone, specifically yourself. Hmm. Yeah. And so if you, you know, before we tell listeners where they can find the people tree, if you could say something encouraging or give advice to the younger you back over in, you know, seventh grade, what would you say to her? Love yourself. Please love yourself. Because 
self-love is such a long and hard journey and being able to love yourself at a young age just allows you to flourish it allows you to really just become the best version of yourself it's not easy because you have you you are going to struggle you're going to make mistakes but all of that is okay if you love yourself enough to overcome mhm thank you for that so can you tell listeners where they can find out more about your work? So you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at The People Tree. And we also have um, a website called thepeopletree.org. And that's got all of the details. And if you're local to the Chicago area, we would love to see you at one of our shows. It's a live storytelling event that typically happens the third Thursday of every month. And it's just a wonderful vibe. And it's really, really close-knit community. Just getting together, telling stories, eating food, and drinking good wine. Oh, I didn't know there was food and wine involved. No, oh, I there is. Want to go. There is. I mean, if you don't want to drink, there's non-alcoholic beverages. No, but the too, food but... itself, the food yes. itself has to be there. That's so exciting. Yeah, I love that you're doing that. Thank you so much, Simi, for being my guest and for taking time to share, you know, what your experience has been. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Roni, for having me. Thank you for tuning in to The Body Myth. If you'd like updates, want to complete the Your Body in the World survey, or have a body image anecdote you'd like me to read on air, please visit the link in the show notes or find the link in my Instagram profile at Ronit Plank. That's R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. And if you liked this episode, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you have two more seconds, you can rate and review it on Apple Podcasts so that others can more easily find The Body Myth. Thank you so much for being here. 